Man, um, hey guys, good to, good to be with you. I'm loving our time together. And um, I know, I'd rather hear Sam again too, but uh, he's not with us, is he? He'll be here tonight. This is what you got, all right? Um, I also want to say that uh, this morning I found out that Alan has pretty much preached my, my message. And I found this out when I, I shared with him something. He said, that's my message. And I said, no, it's my message. And we had this little moment. And um, actually, I think it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and uh, this is not a shameless plug for my book. I would never do that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, this new book, which comes out April 11th, and you can pre-order now on Amazon. Um, so me and this guy, Ronnie Martin, a good friend of mine, we, we co-wrote this book together on how to um, help folks pastoring in small towns, like the two towns we just prayed for. And... Um, and we had split up the chapters. We, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And he, we basically landed on you take five, I take five. Instead of it being like we're co-writing each chapter and it's like, and Donnie says this and Ronnie says this. I mean, who's got time for that, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, Ronnie and Donnie, isn't that cute? Um, so um, so we, we did this and we had this deadline. And, um, and like, like we do, we procrastinated to the very, procrastinated to the very end. And it was like right when we were submitting like the manuscript to turn it into the publisher, we realized that we had some confusion over one of the chapters. Um, and Ronnie had written one of the same chapters I had written. And it was the last chapter of the book. And I was supposed to write this chapter on endurance. And then Ronnie said, no, I was supposed to write this chapter on endurance. And we'd both written two chapters on endurance for one book. And I went and looked at the email thread, and I was right. I was right. It was, it was me. I was right. And, and then I was like, we were like, look, let's just read them and see, like, which one we should put in there, and we'll scramble and write something else. And um, we read them. We were like, man, it feels like the Lord's in both of these. And so we submitted this manuscript. We were like, and we know that there are two chapters on the same topic, but we feel like God's in this. Uh, like, this is a word uh, for the church, is this word to endure. And so... I kind of feel like it's a similar moment. Um, and, and so there'll be some, cro- some crossover, but that's all right. Um, this time of the day, you're not even paying attention, so it's fine. Um, all right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, verse 1 through 22. I'm going to read this, this section here of Scripture, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll break it up. But just, you know this one well, it won't be hard to hear together. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, not just because I'm Paul and I'm really cool. No, to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me 
and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus in, with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. And Greek Priscilla and Aquila, household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Puddins and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. Um, and I love that passage. I always struggle with the names at the end. There's that one guy, his name like Puddins. We have a guy in our town named Puddin. So I always like, I was thinking, well, Puddin, he's there. Um, now we're not going to have time to work through this whole passage. So relax. Um, um, but, uh, I mean, there's some powerful stuff in here um, to help us uh, with managing the tension. As Alan said, we're managing tension here. Um, and, and uh, you know, Rigby Wallace, if you've heard him say this, he's a good friend of ours. He's on the, the, the team that gives the lead to, to advance. He leads a wonderful church in, in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, he's coined this little phrase that's been really helpful for us the last few years, that we want to see the gospel advance, because that's what we are, advance, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. That's what got a lot of us in the room and to the innermost parts of our hearts. How do we hold that? How do we hold that tension? So I wanna, I wanna look at this passage. I think it really helps us with that. First and, and, and most quickly, we're gonna just look at these sobering verses where Paul names some names of those who've done him harm or deserted him. Uh, is anybody a Seinfeld fan by chance? Okay, look, if you had certain people up here, say Brian Hart, they'd be quoting New York Times and stuff like that, all right? Or some work of poetry. I'm a Seinfeld guy. Sometimes I, I lean into office uh, analogies. That's basically what I'm working with, okay? There's this um, epic scene. Uh, do you guys remember when, um, the name of the holiday that the Costanzas celebrated? Festivus. Festivus, all right? And Frank Costanza, he would have the Festivus pole, and he would get up, and what was the, what was the thing he would do? The airing of grievances, right? This, I, lo- I love this movement of churches so much. I think that's kind of what we see here. I mean, Paul's kind of got the pole out, and he's doing this airing of grievances, you know, um, he's talking about how people are going to wander off. He's talking about Demas. He's talking about Alexander. He's doing all this stuff. And this is just a quick little thing, but I think it's a necessary thing for us to hear is that tough times in ministry are nothing new. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but it's worth, it's worth saying here. In just these, this, this passage, Paul's faced abandonment and rejection and betrayal, not to mention he was in prison. I don't know if that's comforting to you, but it is for me. It is for me that um, these tough times are nothing new. I've grieved. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a country song by Randy Travis uh, about your heroes and friends and how they'll, they'll never leave you and they'll never forsake you. And I've loved that song my whole life. But this last season, 
Wow. Lost some heroes and friends. And what can happen is we can start to think it's inevitable. Um, we can also start to think, you know, we're like, you know, that, that it's a matter of time before it happens to us, like all that kind of stuff. And I just want to say, like, man, we have in here uh, this, this glimpse into, into the ministry and, and life of Paul, this, this hardships in ministry, these, these tough times weren't, it wasn't new, it's not new what we're facing. But I also think what we get here is, is what we really need, a picture of resiliency. And he's not modeling his own personal resiliency. He's actually calling Timothy to have it too. Because look what he says in verse one and two. He says, I charge you, I charge you. And that's, that's like, he's calling him to attention. He says, I'm charging you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse five, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So man, times are tough, but man, this, this, is, this is for us to hear. This motivation for us to go or to keep going is rooted actually in the unchanging and the eternal. The motivation for us to go or to keep going is rooted in the unchanging and the eternal. This is a charge. Think of it like charge, like, you know, dun, 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 like that. This, this is a charge. It's an ancient charge that we need to hear, but it's not just a, it's not just a charge you know, just, just based in bravado. It's not some Don Quixote kind of charge. This, this is rooted and grounded in something. What are the things he tells us this charge is rooted and grounded in? Christ Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Christ Jesus has appeared and will appear again. Christ Jesus is the King of kings and his kingdom is everlasting. And so in light of that, I mean, we sang this song this morning, tears running down most of our faces. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are the same God. Paul says he's the same God. And in light of that, preach the word. In light of that, lead. In light of that, evangelize. In light of that, fulfill your ministry. Always, he says. As for you, always. Always means always. No matter what is happening culturally, always. No matter what we're facing, always. That means it's as true in this moment as it was some 15 years ago. Why 15 years ago? Well, back then, in case you didn't know, it was kind of sexy to be a church planner. You were like the cool club if you were a church planner. And a bunch of us church planted. Now, a lot of people church planted with bad motives during that moment. All of us church planted with mixed motives. All of us had some mixed motives in there. We, we might have been more noble than others, but all of us had, there was stuff going on in there. There was ego. There was all that stuff, right? But still we went. We didn't know anything. We didn't, we didn't know our bum from, from a hole in the ground, but we went. We went in droves. If you went to a church planning conference, there were thousands of, of people in flannel shirts with faux hawks ready to go. And that's seemingly all but dried up in recent years. Networks can't pay people enough to plant a church. Churches, even really large ones, struggle with finding new leaders. We've, the, the, the call, the charge, it's true now as it was then. It's always. And this sort of like period of reluctance that we've fallen into, reluctance is not a fruit of the spirit. Actually, if you go back and look at um, Exodus 4, God's anger was kindled. It burned against Moses because of his reluctance. 
And we are, I think, in danger of spiritualizing a kind of reluctance. This charge should do a couple of things to different ones of us in the room. For some of you, it should, this charge should cause you for the first time to put your hand up and say, okay, I'm in. And I'm praying for that, and we're praying for that. And at the end of this, we're gonna give you a chance for that. Now, again, I so appreciate, I mean, Tom Tapping and Ian Tapping are heroes to me. And basically everything the guy says, I'm like, that's it. But when he refers to me as the young guy, man, I cannot be the young guy in this movement anymore. Somebody said to me yesterday, man, you got that drip. I guess that's what the kids are saying now. Listen, listen, man. Listen, when you get this old, that's a medical condition. You got that drip is not a compliment. It's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, th- I thought I was good. I guess not. <laughs> For real, man, I take medicine to go to sleep. I have to have like a heating pad on my neck. My knees pop. Please don't settle for me being the young guy. I babysit half of the people who've led worship up here. Like every time a new set comes up, I'm like, gosh, I am so old. We need another generation. We need to call it out of them, but we need them. We need you in the room to not spiritualize reluctance. We need you to put your yes on the table like a bunch of us did. Mixed motives and all. For others of us, this charge is a charge not to give up, but to keep going. What we don't see Paul appealing to here is slow down and just manage everything and just dial it all back. We've got to resist that temptation. Uh, Alan spoke so wonderfully on this, but um, just to add to that, uh, there's a wonderful article by Trevin Wax in the Gospel Coalition back in January. Um, he says this, just, now he said it, not me, so don't throw anything, Okay. He said, the solution to one generation's overwork is not the next generation's underwork. The solution to one generation's lack of self-care is not the next generation's self-absorption. The ruthless elimination of hurry, a glorious aspiration does not mean, must not mean for us as Christians, the ruthless elimination of discomfort in our work. And he has this little teaser, he says, when someone new to ministry decides after a few months they're nearing burnout and need a sabbatical, I'm tempted to say, burnout? You haven't even burned. Again, it's Trevin, not me, okay? You can tweet him, okay? But friends, that's not what we see Paul doing here. You don't see him backing, backing down, you know. No, he is swinging to the very end. People want myths. People want teachers to suit their own passions. You preach the word. Ministry can be brutal. Co-laborers can desert you. You fulfill your ministry. Humbly onward. But not just humbly, onward, onward. It's not godly and it's not humble to not fulfill your ministry. This is a charge for us. So how do we do it? Well, I think just admitting right out the gates, I think most of us would admit that fulfilling our ministry is harder than we thought it was gonna be. So let's look here and see what we can learn from this. Again, quickly, we've talked about this one a lot. I'm like a broken record on this one, but it just, I see it everywhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it when I see it. 
we can make it, but we need meaningful friendships. I mean, just in this passage, you, you see all these Luke, Timothy, Titus, John, Mark, Tychicus, Priscilla, Aquila, Anastaphorus, Erastus, Trophimus, Eubulus, Puddin, <laughs> Linus, Claudia. You're never going to be able to unread that, all right? You're welcome. Um, Paul had lost some co-laborers, but Paul had not given up on friendship. It's tempting to just go it alone. Just purge. Just run your own race. Paul had faced some big blows. He had even at times felt deserted by everyone. But he is still fighting for meaningful friendship. And we've taken some relational blows, but we must not let it swing us into individualism and isolation. Now, I will say this to you. One of the best ways to fight for spiritual friendships is remembering that even your best friends aren't gonna be a friend like Jesus. And I have, I've, I've watched this in my own life and in the lives of, of others. A lot of spiritual friendships are ruined by unrealistic expectations. Paul said, Jesus stood by me. Sometimes even your best friends are not gonna be, be they, they cannot be Jesus for you. So we need meaningful friendships, but we need to remember no one compares to Jesus. All right? So the charge is rooted in this unchanging, eternal, you know, who Jesus is. We, 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 need, we need friendships. We need all those things. What else? Uh, this is where I want us to spend the bulk of the time. We've, we've talked about some of those other things before. Verse 6 through 8. I'm going to read this for us one more time. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, let it for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here is Paul at the very end of his life, having done what seems impossible, at least what seems impossible in this moment. He's made it, and he's got these pictures here, a race, a fight. What, is he, what, is, what do these pictures evoke? They evoke this, this idea of endurance. And so that's, that's, that's this, this next point here, friends, is that we can make it. But we're going to need some endurance, and, and, and we're going to need some personal discipline and some personal determination. Paul didn't make it accidentally. He made it by enduring personally. He said it was a race. It was a fight, both, both a race and a fight. Now, look at me. I've not done a lot of races, okay? But I know people who have. I've watched movies about it. I've seen Forrest Gump. You know, I, I know that running's hard. Um, but those things are tough. Races and, and fights are tough. And I'm not sure when those concepts, this idea of, of a race and, and, and a fight and a crown first appeared to Paul, but I know it wasn't in 2 Timothy 4. It wasn't like Paul in 2 Timothy 4 was writing. He's like, ooh, a race, that's a good one. Mm, that's nice. And what about a fight? Yes, a fight's a good one. And a crown, that's a good one. That's not how that went down. I know that because if you hit rewind some 10 or 12 years earlier, you will read this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that, all, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What's Paul talking about in, in 1 Corinthians 9? There's a race and there's a, there's a fight and there's this imperishable wreath. 
And I've got my mind on that. I've got my, my, I'm thinking about that. And what's he thinking about? 12 years later, fast forward to the very end, he says, I ran a race, I fought a fight, and I'm about to get a crown. I'm not a smart man. I'm not an expert in Greek or Hebrew, but it seems to me there's a connection here. This is, this, this is a connection. At some point early on in Paul's ministry journey, these analogies came to the forefront for him. And they were so spot on that they stuck with him to the end. This is a race. This is a fight. But there's a crown. How many people get into ministry not knowing it's going to be hard? Not thinking at times it's just going to be a grind. Paul says, I'm running, I'm boxing, I'm looking forward. And then he looks back and says, I ran, I fought, and Jesus is about to give me that crown. It's a powerful picture of endurance. I think we see this call to endurance in two, two things here, two, two visions we need to get to endure. The first one, as it's been spoken about so much already, we need to have a vision for making it personally. Paul says, I'm not running or fighting like everyone else. He actually elicits this, this imagery here that other runners are not going to make it. Other fighters are not going to last. Paul says, I want to make it. I want to last. Unfortunately, that still checks out. And we're not going to make it by just crossing our fingers. We actually have to, we have to make adjustments. Alan spoke, he gave just such practical handles for adjustments to make if you're going to make it personally. But let's think about these analogies, boxing and running a race. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a fight. I was in some growing up. Now, I'm not proud of that, okay? It's not a surprise. But um, I wasn't proud of that. I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Violence was normal. And so I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to, like, make it sound like that's cool. But I, I, do, I do have some experience with that. I don't, I don't have any running marathon experience for you, but I do have some fight experience. I'll tell you this. It, you, didn't, you know, didn't know this already. It's not like the movies. You get tired really fast. Like, really fast. I, I didn't make it very far in a lot of fights early on. Uh, a big part of winning a boxing match is just not sucking wind in the first five seconds, right? Also, a big part of winning is not giving up when you start bleeding. Um, something I learned, punch somebody in the nose. It bleeds really easily, and that freaks most people out. I'm, I know this is like, you're like, this is uncomfortable for me. It's, Paul, <laughs> it's Paul's analogy. It's not even my analogy, right? I remember the first time I got punched in the nose. Uh, it was a guy named C.J. Pavey. Punched me in the nose. Man, disorientated me, freaked me out. Uh, later on, uh, someone bought us some gloves from, from Toys R Us. We were in high school. They were not made for, we had to like squeeze our hands in there, like Vaseline or something. They had no padding. And we would just, every day after school, just beat each other in the backyard, us and our friends. And we got better. And it was amazing, you know, like I was able to control my breathing and I mean, I could take a hit. I got better, you know. Um, well, again, you're so uncomfortable. I'm about to turn the corner. Listen, <laughs> this is not about like nonsense of fighting people in the church. This is Paul's imagery here for we have an enemy, it's a fight and you've got to actually learn how to fight to win because not everybody that, 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 that gets into a boxing match wins. Paul says, fight like you want to win. The enemy we've got isn't playing patty cakes. He is beating on us nonstop. There are giants in the land. There are wolves who want to devour. There are, there are battles to fight, and we need to fight in a way that we want to win, and that means we need to settle in for a long, drawn-out fight. This boxing analogy Paul gives is great. I don't know what the context was back then, but, but now, like, you've got people in your corner. If you're going to win, who's in your corner? 
Who's who's there cheering for you? Who's helping you? Who's coaching you? What kind of physical shape you got to be in? And then beyond that, what kind of emotional and mental shape do you got to be in? I, I love the Rocky movies. Rocky was in amazing physical shape, right? It wasn't ever like Rocky needed to be stronger physically necessarily. His issue was always mental and emotional, as is true with so much of the fight. So, man, get people in your corner. Like, the physical stuff is great, and I'll, t- I'll talk about that in just a second. But get people in your corner who can help you with the other stuff. The therapist I've been seeing, again, it's still very weird for me to talk about this um, publicly, but they have, she has been a, like a wonderful boxing coach in the corner. Uh, she has not coddled me. There was a moment, I'll, I'll let you in, you know, on this. There was a moment where I expressed to her something. I said, man, I just feel, and I was trying to be vulnerable. I just said, I feel like when I'm like that, I'm really childlike. And she interrupted me and she said, not childlike, childish. I was like, I thought I was paying you to make me feel better. <laughs> and she said, because childlike is something Jesus wants us to be. What you're being is childish. Man, that junk hurt. It hurt, but it was, a, it was like, it was good. It was good coaching. That's what I needed. We need people in our corner who won't just coddle us. People who will speak truth to us. Again, you've got the friends around a boxing match that are cheering for you. And we've already talked about some of this, but man, guys, you're not going to make it without it. And even on this journey for me over the last year of seeing a counselor, seeing a therapist, all those things, I've engaged friendships in, in new ways. I've, I've actually, I've like picked friends and got other pastors in ministry and said, hey, I need you to be a safe place for me. I've actually had to travel this last year to go to the, the person I've been seeing and um, because we don't have any resources that w- would help me locally. And so I've traveled a long way away. And there is a pastor, a good friend of mine who lives in that town. And I've stayed at his house after every one of those sessions. And sometimes I'm kind of a mess and don't want to talk at all. And sometimes I want to talk a lot. But they've been a safe place for me. And I have, I have regular check-ins. There's guys on my team. And I've brought Jill's come to two of the appointments with me. And, hey, anything that you want to say in front of my wife, say it. Like, I want to make it to the end. I don't want to just feel better. I want to actually make it to the end. And this is a fight. And not every fighter is going to make it. And I want to make it and I want you to make it. What about the race? Well, I'll tell you the little things I know. Not a sprint here. It's a marathon. Twelve years later, Paul's still talking about running. That's a long race. If that's the case, well, you need to think about the pace. And a lot of us have not run in a sustainable way. And I'm reckoning with that, and I hope you are too, and making adjustments. I went probably eight or nine or so years of the church plant. I think I probably slept an average of four hours a night. And I bragged about that. And that's stupid. That's not godly. That's stupid. And... I, I'll be honest, I was able to find some medication, non-addictive, I'll tell you about it if you want to ask me later, and um, it helped me out, flipped a switch, I've slept like seven or eight hours a night for the last year, my sanctification jumped up like 50%. <laughs> some of y'all, that's what you're missing, just a little sleep. I've had to basically cut out sugar completely, so I push it off on everyone else. Last night, cheesecake was getting passed around. I went and got a few slices and watched other people eat it. That's what I do. I'm a pusher. 
I can't have it, but I'll watch you eat it. Is that weird? I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to work on boundaries. I have to work on not saying yes to everything. I'm back at the gym, not CrossFit. I'm doing that old lady stuff. Me and them women, we getting it on that elliptical. Boy. And I'm going to tell you right now, that junk is harder than it looks. Somebody made fun of me. They're like, oh, you're going to do some swim aerobics? And I'm like, I'll look into it. I got some bad joints. Maybe that's the answer. And I don't want to peter out halfway through the race. This is a long race. We got to run in a sustainable way. There's going to be some uphill sections, maybe even some downhill sections if you're lucky. So this is called a focus on our personal health, but that's not it. That's not the only thing. Again, this gets at what Alan was saying is that we can't just make it about that. The end all be all to following Jesus is not just self-care. And we see that in this passage and frankly, every other passage like it, everywhere else where you see this call to personal care, I think you see something else going on if you just have eyes to see it. Let me read to you verse 17. What does Paul say? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that I felt better about myself. No, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So we need a vision for our personal health and we need to have a vision for lasting admission. We need to have a vision for lasting and mission. Jesus didn't just comfort Paul so Paul would be comforted. That's, that's good. But even that, if you look at 2 Corinthians 1, where it says, God, the God of all comfort, comforts us in all of our affliction, any affliction, right? What does he do? He does it so that we might be able to comfort others with the comfort we've received. It's, it's everywhere. We just hit period too soon. We are not just comforted for the sake of being comforted. There, there is mission for us. So what does Paul say to Timothy? Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It's this dual focused vision that we need if we're gonna make it. Paul says, I've made it, I'm at the end. But part of me making it was remembering my purpose was to be poured out. Was, was, was for my life to be lived in such a way that the gospel might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. I want us to make it, but there's more at stake if we don't than just our friendships. These passages are rooted in, in evangelism. Friends, Paul didn't have just a, a vision to reach the world. He had a vision to make it to the end. But he didn't just have a vision to make it to the end. He had a vision to reach the world. And we need both. And we don't have to choose. What's at stake? People don't get the gospel who need the gospel. People with itching ears wandering off in the myths won't find truth. I love how Romans 10 says this, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach? Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends in the room, sounds creepy, but you got beautiful feet feet that bring good news. I want you to keep going because I want you to make it, but also because the people where you live need what you've got. Because the world needs what we've got. Your town and my town, they need to hear the gospel. The gospel fully proclaimed. To hear it fully proclaimed, to see it fully proclaimed. So 
as dual focus as you make it and the gospel gets fully proclaimed. I don't want us to just make it. And I think we're in danger. And that's why I love this kind of combination of talks here because I think we're in danger of just trying to make it. I don't want us just to make it. We made it. No, I want us to have made it having fulfilled our ministry. We need to do both. We need to make it and we need to fulfill our ministry, not just make it. Some of us are trying to play it safe so we will make it. We're counting, making some bets and wagers and thinking, oh man, I don't know, I better, I better, I better. And we're, we're gonna start playing it safe with the attempt to make it. And that's not what we see here. Paul's, Paul's charging Timothy to die swinging, to be poured the whole way out. That's, that's part of making it in Christian ministry. We see that picture of resiliency powerfully uh, in the life of Philip as well. If you, if you remember, and I, I'm not gonna preach a whole thing on this, but it's just such a powerful picture here. It's been really good for me lately, the last kind of six, seven, eight months. In Acts 8, um, Philip, his friend gets martyred. Philip gets, uh, along with everybody else, gets scattered. Um, he's a long way away from home. Persecutions broke out. And by the end of, of Acts chapter 8, you read this. Uh, he's just been teleported, basically. Finds himself in Azotus, Acts 8.40. And he passed through and preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Okay, next, you know, I guess, you know, who, who's the other, the next character? Well, we, we end up getting introduced to Saul right away and blah, blah, blah. Fast forward some 20 years later. Philip's, he's been made this homeless nomad. He reached the Ethiopian eunuch. Then he gets, he gets, you know, teleported and he preaches and he gets to Caesarea, boom, period. 20 years later, we pick up the story of Philip. In Acts chapter 21, verse eight. On the next day, Paul now headed to Jerusalem. We departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And I love how the scriptures aren't devoid of the challenges and struggles of ministry, but I love, however, also there's also these pictures of resiliency in ministry. Philip was evangelizing, 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 Samaritans, the magician, the eunuch, town, 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 Caesarea. And, and what do we see 20 years later? What is Philip still doing? He's, he's still doing it to the point where they've now called him the evangelist. He wasn't Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter eight, but by Acts chapter 21, he's the evangelist. He is still fulfilling his ministry. He's made a home there. He's got daughters. We need that. We need, and let me speak to some of you older saints in the room. Not old, older. We need you to make it. I need you to make it. Please, don't do the thing that happens. Don't get cynical and weird. We need you to make it. We, I'm not being ugly. I'm not being unkind. We need you to make it. Some of us are a little younger than you, and we are desperately looking to see, is, is it possible to make it? I, I wasn't even picking on Tommy earlier, but you know, they leave next week for their first sabbatical in 40 years of ministry. And honestly, we kind of had to force them to do it. They love the church. They love ministry. Tom's not, they're not looking for a break. They don't even want a break. We are forcing them to take a break. And I'm trusting God, and I would I'd love you to trust me with them, that, um, that they're gonna go and, and be reminded of all the ways God's been faithful. They're gonna be filled up and restored and rejuvenated and come back more full of faith 
then they left. But they're a picture of making it. And there's others in the room. I just know them so closely. Uh, we were praying upstairs this morning and looked out, came down, and there's Kirk standing out there in the cold, in the wet, directing traffic, doing the thing. And I just think, man, what a picture of faithfulness him and Mandy are. The room's got a bunch of them. We're, luckily, we're lucky in this movement. We're blessed in this movement. So I'm not saying something you're not doing. I'm just saying keep doing it. We need you. Sean and Becky Craig, we need you. We need you. So we need heroes to make it. And we need some young people to start putting their hands up. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Um, I'll start by just telling you, I was at a, um, a conference like this one time years and years and years ago. And um, uh, this guy was preaching and he started talking about Japan and how much Japan needed the gospel. And I was just crying my eyes out. He said, if you feel called to plant a church in Japan, come to the front. I got up and I was down there, boy. <laughs> it ain't happened yet. So what I'm not saying is that like it's gonna A plus B always equals C, but it was a moment for me to put my yes on the table. I did end up planting a church. I'm not dead yet. I may end up in Japan. That'd be amazing. But right now, I'm faithful where I'm at. All I'm saying is there, there are these moments God uses where we just say, okay, well, we're willing. My friend John calls it putting your yes on the table. I'd love to kind of just step out into that and just say, hey, if you're here and you think it's possible one day God might use you to plant a church, I'd love you to stand up. Who else? Okay, keep standing. You're not leaving like now, you know. The Moravians did that, if you guys know the history. They were like, okay, now you're marrying you and you guys are leaving today. Like, we're, we're a little softer in advance, okay. There's a process and I don't know where this will end for you. You know, then you can work it out with your local church and all those kinds of things. But I just want to say to you, I, I believe I can say this on behalf of, of the leadership team, we need you. I am ready and we are ready to have some problems. Problems like, how are we supposed to process all these people who want to plant a church? We're ready to have that problem. Problems like, how are we supposed to raise all this money for all these new church plants? We're ready to have that problem. We're ready to have it. I don't want the problem anymore of going, man, will anyone ever put their yes on the table again? Will anyone ever be young and stupid like we were again? Come on. Let's have these kinds of problems. I don't know where this will lead you, but I will tell you this, Jesus is worth it. I'll remind you we didn't know anything. That includes pretty much all of us. Uh, Jill and I didn't, we knew less than everybody else. I'd read one book on church planning. It was horrible. I would not recommend it to you. It was Awful. I don't even remember what it was. It was heresy from front to back with a little bit of like marketing mixed in. It was awful. We, if you don't know our story, I'm not gonna tell you all of it now, but like we left here, we drove, started driving across the country. We're gonna go do this. We got to West Texas, hit black ice, flipped over, rolled down in a ditch and landed upside down. Bleeding, got out of our car, got a rental car, packed everything into it, kept driving. 
showed up on a Friday night, realized I was reformed earlier that Friday. That was fun. Um, started preaching on Sunday. That's not the way to do it, kids, okay? That was confusing for everyone. Didn't know anything. Didn't have any money. We didn't have a place to live. We were going to stay upstairs at these people's house. We didn't have a building. We didn't even have a car. We had to buy a car. We didn't have jobs. I mean, honestly, the joke about the first offering was like cigarettes was kind of close. It was rough. I think it was $60. We had a, a Toy Poodles toy basket was our offering basket and it was too big. And Jesus has been faithful. And Jesus has been worth it. I want to actually, if you can remain standing, I want to speak to another group. Maybe there's a group in the room. You've stepped out. You've been going. But man, if you're honest, you're feeling like you're not going to make it. You're wondering if you're going to make it. You've started to feel like, gosh, if I'm going to make it, I probably ought to play it really safe here. I wonder if you'd be so bold if you feel like, gosh, I just feel like I don't know. I need fresh courage. I need fresh courage from God. If that's you, I'd love you to stand up. That one takes more courage. My friend's gonna think, what are people on the team gonna think? I wanna say to you, brothers and sisters, and I don't know what, it, what this will mean for you. If you end up not an elder or not leading the church, that doesn't mean you're something wrong with you. Sometimes we need, we need to take a season off. So this isn't like that. But I want you to hear that this Jesus who has kept you can keep you and keep you going. And I wanna to read to you this old hymn written in 1865. It's actually, I think, a, a good one for us to all hear. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads us against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. As the triumph, as a sign of triumph, Satan hosts doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where other saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, laud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing.